BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, I am here with Jen McLean, who has a long and interesting history, fascinating history in the video game industry. Uh, Jen was a tester on Civilization II, and she's worked at AOL, Comcast Games, 38 Studios, that's quite a story, and Story Arc. And now she is the executive director of the International Game Developers Association and the IGDA Foundation. Hello, Jen. Hi, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for, well, I guess you didn't have to venture out in the San Francisco rain. I did. So uh, <laughs> thank you to me for coming out in the rain to you. Compared uh, to Boston, this is actually really nice right. weather. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I think we're getting a, sto- a snowstorm on the East Coast right now. So mm-hmm. we're missing out on that. Um, Jen, the big topic right now, we'll talk about a few different things, but the big topic right now at GDC is unionization. And everyone's talking about it. It feels like there's more momentum for pushing towards game developers organizing this year than there has been. In, in ever, as long as I can remember. Um, you have talked about unionization in the past. You guys are holding a panel tomorrow about the pros and cons of unionization, but I am very curious to hear your perspective. What do you think? Do you think game developers should be organizing? To me, the, the push around unionization is really symptomatic of some fundamental problems in the games industry. Mm. You know, we have an oversupply of game developers. And if you look at the degree programs that are turning out graduates, they are great programs, but there are not jobs for the graduates to say nothing of the talent that's already in the industry. Mm-hmm. So to me, a lot of this is basic economics. You've got oversupply. Can we address the supply issue? Can we address the demand issue? The IGDA is focused much more on addressing the demand issue because fundamentally we want anyone with the aptitude and desire to be a game developer to have the opportunity to have that sustainable and fulfilling career. Mm -hmm. Where that gets back to unions is figuring out how unions could potentially play in there. What problems could they help address? What problems can't they address? And, you know, it's it's interesting hearing some of the conversation because not only do we need to have that open dialogue about what problems unions can help with, what they can help with, but I think we also need to be very conscious that we are a global workforce. Mm-hmm. So if we unionize in one country, what does that mean for game workers in that country or game workers in other countries? Mm. What does that mean if we unionize in one studio for other studios in that region? Mm-hmm. If we unionize with one discipline, for example, um, artists, what does that mean for their colleagues in the studio? And what does that do to their leverage with management? These are good logistical questions, but I think I think the, the arguments that the pro-unionization people are making is that um, the there's no other way to protect workers from being exploited in ways like crunch and the perpetual layoff cycles that keep hitting video game studios, um, that, that uh, studio shutdowns, and it, it feels like video game industry workers are exploited. Would you agree with that sentiment? I would say that there are extraordinarily troublesome working conditions in Mm. games. Yes. 
you know, when you say video game workers are exploited, not every person who works in games is exploited. Sure, yeah, I'm not generalizing, every, yeah, very much generalizing. Right. But there's there's a general sentiment that, like, I mean, crunch, we know, is very prevalent right. and to uh, a worrying degree. Um, burnout, I think, is a really big issue. Absolutely. You mentioned supply and demand, but I think that it, that's on a junior level. I think on a senior level, it's like every company has tons of open senior positions right. that they can't fill. Um, and these seem like, it seems like these are issues that nothing else has been able to fix. And unionization is like game developers saying, "How? what else are we going to do other than bargain collectively? And I think this is where we need to have the conversation about what unionization can address and can't address. Mm -hmm. So let's look at layoffs and studio closures, right? Sure. Generally, when a studio closes, it's because they run out of capital. Mm -hmm. They run out of access to cash. Unions won't help with access to cash. Let's look at crunch. Crunch is often a product of really bad management. Mm -hmm. Will union help level up management in the games industry? I don't necessarily know if it will. I don't know if there is that clear, that clear solution to how we bring in better management in the games industry. Well, a union could bargain for, for paid overtime. Absolutely. So they can mitigate the impact of bad management, but can they address the fundamental underlying cause? And that, that this conversation we're having, this back and forth, where yeah. we say, okay, can they address part of the cause? Can they address the effect? Where mm -hmm. can they impact change? What can they do? This is exactly the kind of conversation we need to be having, both at the roundtables at GDC, but also in our community. Mm -hmm. And where do you lie on this side of, on, on either side of the conversation? I think that it's a real that we cannot expect unions to solve everything that's wrong with the games industry. Mm -hmm. I think that there are too many challenges and for, I'll use for example layoffs. I've never seen a situation where a union has helped a company get more money to fund their operations. Mm. It may well be out there and I really hope if it is that people will educate me on it. But if we expect any single tactic to solve all of the industry problems, we're going to be disappointed. There mm. are there are too many issues that make game development a challenging career. Mm -hmm. So how, what is the way to solve layoffs? What is the way to solve pervasive crunch? Yeah. I think part of it is addressing that supply and demand issue. So thinking about how we can help studios become more sustainable. To me, when we talk about supporting game developers, there's also supporting game development companies. Mm. I want game developers to get paid a fair wage. I want them to be able to enter the industry at 22 and retire 30, 40, 50, 60 years later, mm -hmm. financially secure, happy, healthy, and feeling like they've done something meaningful with their life. The only way that happens if there are, is if there are game development companies that can pay them a fair wage, mm -hmm. that can help them be successful, that don't require them to move their family around the country and around the world every few years. That is not a sustainable career path. And I think the question is what we as a community, what the IGDA and what we as an industry can do to help mitigate some of that. When we look at the mid-tier of game development studios right now, mm -hmm. the 50 to 250 person tier, that has shrunk so much. And that has big repercussions both now, but also especially five years, 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Where's the next Bethesda coming from? Where's the next Valve coming from? So when I think about one of the things the IGDA can do, it's not just helping individual game developers, but it is also helping the smaller independent studios, the five-person studios 
understand the business challenges they're facing, mm-hmm. helping them be more successful, helping them grow to a 15-person studio, and then a 50-person studio. And then if they want to, maybe grow to a 200-person studio or even grow to a 500-person studio. And you know what? If they want to stay a 50-person studio and make a single game, that's okay too. But let's help them manage their business in a really smart way to fundamentally increase the demand for developers by creating more jobs and help mitigate the oversupply that we have. Mm. I mean, I think that one of the reasons that we've seen that mid-tier kind of die out and we see so few big independent studios now is because independent studios have zero leverage whatsoever when it comes to dealing with big publishers who are giving them money to make projects. How do you solve an issue of like helping a developer like... Uh, the equivalent of Double Fine, um, which has talked quite a bit about its issues with publishers and the prob- the struggles they've had. How do you help a developer like that get more leverage when it comes to public like dealing with publishers and therefore be more sustainable? There's there's so much to that question, right? So it's how do you help developers break out of the publishing treadmill, which is very much a treadmill. It's also how do you help companies that have lightning strike in a bottle. Um, make sure that they don't say, oh, wow, you know, we had this amazing mobile game hit and we did have lightning strike in a bottle and suddenly we made $50 million. Okay, great. We need to now hire 200 people and make five games because we'll absolutely replicate our success with those Uh next five titles. No, it, it actually doesn't always work that way. So how can we not only address the publishing treadmill, but how can we help companies make better business decisions and plan for, gosh, maybe I should be having be leaving 12 months of operating expenses in reserve. Mm. Maybe I should be more careful about growth. Maybe I should think about the management overhead of spinning up three new product teams at the same time. Mm-hmm. And these are these are hard questions. There are no easy answers. There are some exciting changes. And if you look at the games industry in the last 10 years, there are things that I think could bode well for the future of game development. Um, more accessibility on PC. Mm-hmm. You know, some years ago, everyone was saying PC is dead, PC is mm-hmm. dead. And that's not the case. And now PC is really a thriving platform, especially for indie game developers. How for can the we... indie game developers lucky enough to get to the top of Steam well, that's there are exactly 400 right. games released a day. I mean, that's exactly right. So you're seeing with Steam the same thing that has happened with the mobile app stores where you see hundreds if not thousands of games released a day. The interesting thing about PC is that Steam doesn't own the keys the way the app stores do. Sure. And you're starting to see more and more people shift and I think Good Old Games is a perfect example, shifting mm-hmm. from a relatively niche platform to doing more and more. Discoverability is an issue that we have to conquer, but also figuring out how game developers can have more direct relationships with consumers, with their players, how they can circumvent some of the you know, it's not exactly a walled garden anymore, but some of the gatekeepers to their customers and whether or not there is an opportunity for new market entrants mm-hmm. to help distribute, not just on, on things like Steam, but maybe through an HTML5-based web browser on your mobile device. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so going back to what you were saying earlier about layoffs, and you were talking about a specific type of layoff, which is a studio runs out of money, can't, can't support their employees anymore. But there are also a different type of layoffs, which is major corporation is making tons of 
of money for its shareholders and its executives, but still decides they got to cut costs. And so Activision early last year decided to lay off a giant chunk of staff, even though they were still making money fist over, what is it? Hand over fist. (laughs) Um, And, or like uh, uh, 2K last fall decided to lay off half of Hangar 13 in right here in San Francisco because uh, they, for, for one reason or another, but they're making plenty of money. Like GTA Online is the biggest thing since Minecraft. Um, point being that a lot of these companies are just serving their shareholders and still making plenty of money. They have the money to support these people. They're just choosing not to. I think that there's an argument among the game developer community that uh, organization is a way to fight that. What, how else would you fight something like that and fight for stability? It is really, to me, it's really hard to generalize in these cases, in part because we don't know what went into those decisions, right? You are absolutely correct that you have companies that are financially secure and stable who have made the decision to lay people off. Mm-hmm. Are they laying people off because they were working on a game that they don't believe will be successful in the current market condition? I don't think any reasonable person would say, no, you should keep making a game that you think will fail. Like, that's that's not healthy for anybody. That's sure. not a smart decision. Sure. Are they being responsible and saying, okay, we have to make layoffs, but we're going to try and find other places for our talent where we can? Sometimes, Sometimes. yes. You know, but the challenge is we are fundamentally a creative and hit driven business. And an idea we've seen, we've all seen this, an idea that looks great on paper or that even looks great in an early vertical slice. When you get two years into development, you say, oh, wow, this this might not be the best way to sure. spend another $25 million of my development budget. Sure, of course. I don't see unionization changing that. Well, if you are an artist at game company, Hangar 13, for example, and you feel like you guys are floundering on a project and eventually 2K says, hey, we can't keep spending money on this project, um, I think that you as an artist are just trying to make a living and had no input whatsoever into those decisions and suddenly you are, you are feeling the brunt of it and suddenly you have to move to your fifth studio in seven years and uproot your family yet again. And I think that's what leads a lot of those senior level developers to just burn out. Um, And I think that uh, uh, you could certainly make the argument that unionization won't help that, but I would make the argument and a lot of people would make the argument that there's nothing else that would protect that and that at least bargain collective bargaining i say this as a member of a union shop so <laughs> i have some experience with this especially i don't know how familiar you are with our company and what we had to go through with mm-hmm. hulk hogan and whatnot but our union saved our asses and i think that that just having that power to rise up as workers and like have some sort of leverage doesn't mean you'll get everything you want but just having some level of leverage i think is better than nothing i just don't know what else you would do like it, it's easy to be defeatist and say like oh a union can't stop that a union can't stop that but but no what else can stop that and if not then like why not try to collectively bargain so let's play this out you are you are running a multi-billion dollar publisher Mm -hmm. and you have a dev team that you know is maybe two years into the project you look at it and you say you know what the market's changed some creative leadership has changed management has changed for whatever reason we don't think this project will be successful anymore so what are your options? If you are not able to 
say, you know what, we're going to kill this project because of your agreement with the union, does that mean that you don't actually hire full-time employees and instead you start outsourcing more? I mean, how would you, if you were running a multi-billion dollar publisher, how would you handle that? How would you look at a product that you don't think will be successful? I think that if you are starting a project two years ago and suddenly are like face of the realization that it's not going to be successful in this market, then you made some pretty big mistakes in the first place. I mean, I think part of the the reason that those people are making so much money on top of a multi-billion dollar pro, uh, corporation is that they should be able to make decisions that we know what's going to be successful in three years. We know what the market's going to look like then. Otherwise, why are they on top of the companies? And I would argue the only studio that has reliably and consistently done that, you know, I, I'm not even sure there is one. So I look at Blizzard. Blizzard has such an amazing reputation for quality. Mm-hmm. Blizzard killed a titan yes, right sure. you know they they were able to as far as i know absorb the talent and move them on to other projects mm-hmm. and that that begat overwatch which has been a huge success mm-hmm. but there's an example of of arguably one of the best if not the best developers out there yeah for sure you know the the developer our dss the development satisfaction survey highlighted is the developer people most want to work for right. and they didn't get it right so i think if we say you know Every every person making a game, making creative decisions about a game, should be able to predict how, that that game will be successful in three to five years. That's just mm-hmm. not reasonable. It's no, not going to th- happen. That's that's a fair point. And I think I think if I were in that position and I made a mistake, whatever, I I was responsible for that for that project. My and like my decision would be okay. We need to relocate those resources, lay people off, whatever. And then I think that if those people had more leverage, then I might have to reconsider that or think about how I could help them. And I think if I were having to deal with collective bargaining and workers who were organized as opposed to workers who had no rights whatsoever, I think that might play into the calculus in a way. It might not change my decision, but I knew I would know that I would be in for a fight if I did that. And it would uh, uh, encourage me as Mr. Bazillionaire to uh, think about other options and think about ways to protect those people. So we are fundamentally arguing for the same thing. We want game developers to be protected. Mm -hmm. We want game developers to have a sustainable and fulfilling career. Yeah, exactly. We want game developers, again, to be able to retire financially secure and happy and healthy and feel happy with their decisions. What I worry about in the example that you just used Mm -hmm. is you're, you know, you're, you're Mr. Bazillionaire running the publisher when you see a product that you don't think will be successful any longer, if you know you have to give every person on who is on that product, either continue to invest money in it, which is a bad idea, and I don't think anyone would argue for, mm-hmm. or reassign every single person on that product to a new project, does that then mean that you are less likely to hire people? Does that then mean that you are more likely to go with outsourcing? Does that then mean you go to more of a Hollywood production model? And there, and this is again why I think it's really important to have that conversation about the issues we want unions to address. Mm -hmm. Crunch is a huge, huge problem in the industry. But if you look at the Hollywood production model, that is built on crunch. Mm -hmm. And what you see is... also overtime pay. Exactly. And you have a model where you have people who work incredibly long and incredibly tense hours for, you know, two months, three months, four months, and then they take two, three, four months off. Right. And then they go back. And, And often those... Hours are also away from your home. Mm-hmm. They're away from your family. So if we are looking at 
using unions as a way to mitigate crunch by following the Hollywood model, I think we need to have some hard discussions about that. Mm -hmm. If we're looking at unions to provide job security, I think we need to say, okay, Mr. Bazillionaire Publisher, does that mean you are less likely to hire full-time employees? Does that mean you're more likely to go outsource? Does that mean that, hey, you have five studios working on this property? Two of them are in unionized countries, three are not. So you're going to move all of your open headcount to the three that are in non-union countries. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know the answers to these questions. I don't have a crystal ball, but I think we need to ask the questions and we need to do it in a way that says, look, all of us want the same things. We all want to protect game developers. We want game developers to make amazing games. We want them to have great careers. And I think bazillionaire publishers want that too. Because sure. at the end of the day, that's what makes them money. What is in the best interest of the game developers and what what are the options to help support those sustainable and fulfilling careers? Yeah, I mean, I guess I just don't see, and uh, uh, please, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. What else is an action that developers can take? Like, other than unionizing, what else can they possibly do in order to create protections for themselves? I don't know if there is an answer to that. And I, that's, a, that's a really terrible answer to your question. I wish I had an alternative. But here's an example from, from my personal life. So my dad was a postal clerk, mm -hmm. he, unionized job. Um, the unions were able to provide certain protections. If you got injured as a postal clerk, you were very well taken care of. You couldn't be moved to certain positions without your permission. But... He had mandated forced overtime every November and December, worse than any crunch I've seen in game development, because Christmas cards. Mm -hmm. The union can't stop Christmas cards. And I think we have to have that discussion about what can the union change, what can't a union change, and what are some potential consequences? And this is, I mean, this is true for any decision we make. There are always going to be seen and unforeseen consequences. Sure. The best thing we can do for the global game development community is have this discussion. Mm -hmm. Better understand what our options are. Are there other options? But if are the there discussion not? doesn't lead anywhere, then it's just like the status quo like that's what just that's just people accepting the status quo so like it needs to and, and also i think i think there are a lot of different types of unionization yeah. I, I mean as you discussed like there could there's the the guild model a discipline model um the one that has worked for our company is just our company unionizing as a company and i can see that working at studios where some studios have different ways of working some studios want different things at our union shop we decided okay we're not gonna try we're not gonna bargain for about hours we're not gonna talk about just cause we are going to fight for salary floors we are going to fight for protecting our benefits and that's we we decided as we were bargaining what worked for us i think i can see that model working with studios what works at ubisoft montreal might be different than what works at uh, naughty dog in los angeles and i think that is something where you don't really i mean the pros and cons will depend on the studio in question not just the studio but the country mm -hmm. because right. all of these Whatever laws the are very laws. different yes, right of course and this is again why I think it is really important to have this discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and and I might be naive, but I'm going to this assuming that the large majority of people involved in the games industry are good actors. Mm -hmm. They want game developers to be successful. They want to make amazing games. Mm -hmm. And the success of individual game developers is absolutely tied to the success of game development companies. Is there a way to achieve that sustainable and fulfilling career for game developers mm -hmm. Um, and how do you increase the leverage? So 
I think one of the challenges, and I've gotten a lot of heat for being wishy-washy in my answer, I am wishy-washy because there, I don't think there is a clear and easy answer here. It is really, really complicated because not only do you have different studio cultures to your model, you have studios that are very upfront that they will crunch, but you get to work on a multi-billion dollar title because of it, and mm. you, you get a substantial bonus, unless you get laid off, mm -hmm. right? So there with that studio, you do potentially argue that if you get laid off between you know, the, the last time period leading into ship and three months after the game, you are guaranteed a payment. Like mm -hmm. these are all really great questions for us to ask. Sure. And some studio might say, Hey, we're okay with crunching. We're, we don't want to exactly. fight for hours, but we want to make sure that we have those bonuses and they're the same amount for no matter if you're male or female, no matter who you are, it's the same. Amount. There are a lot of different protections. Yes. So like, I think that, that, uh, at least for me, the premise is not like, should we unionize or should we not? It's more like, what should we be fighting for as workers? Because I feel like workers just need protections. Like you said, I mean, there is no other action they can take. And that to me is a problem. Like, I just don't see what else people can do to fight this. And for me, I look at it from a slightly different perspective, which is how do we, how can we increase workers leverage by increasing demand for workers? Mm. And it's, you know, it, Part of it, I believe, is access to capital. You know, the games industry, as a hit-driven business, does not have the access to venture capital that you see in a lot of tech industries. Hmm. That's something that I would love for us to look at as an industry in terms of how we can how we can do something like a Sundance Film Festival, you know, how we can create a system that gives smaller indies more leverage against publishers. So you can mm -hmm. break out of that publisher treadmill. But to to assume that Suddenly, you know, if you unionize, everything will be great. I, I don't think that that is a reasonable assumption. And I do think we have to have these conversations about what does unionizing studio by studio mean? Mm -hmm. If you are running, you know, if you're Mr. Bazillionaire running the publisher and you have one unionized studio and one who isn't, where do you allocate your funding? I mean, that's these are all great questions. It's not there's definitely no I definitely don't see it as a an easy button. You press right. the button and suddenly everything's fixed. Um I'm actually I'm I'm surprised um to hear your perspective on this after you after knowing that you went through 38 studios and all the things. I don't know how much you can talk about there, but the seeing hearing the stories out of that and the fact that people like just stopped getting paychecks, like would arrive to the company not knowing like what their status was other than seeing reporters at the door um, it sounds like it was horrible and I imagine that like I don't think that having a union would have saved the company and suddenly put money in the bank account but it having a union would have given them protections been the, instead of like arriving at work and not knowing what was going on you call up your union rep and you say hey we need to talk about this and it, it seems like there would be protections in place that weren't there so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised the to hear your perspective is 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 like this so my in many ways my perspective is very much shaped by my experience at 38 studios mm. because I have seen firsthand what it does to people and their families when you were expecting to be paid and you weren't. Um, you you know, just took out a mortgage. You just bought right, a house. exactly. You just moved your company across the or your your family across the country. That is a terrible thing to do to somebody. Um, you know, most people don't know this. I was pregnant. I left Thirty Eight Studios in March before they went out of business. Mm. I was literally one of those women feeding stirrups at the obstetrician's office, having them say, "Hey, what's going on with your health insurance?" Wow. 
And my husband worked for 38 Studios as well. So we lost both of our incomes at the same time. Um, and we were in Rhode Island, which is not exactly a hotbed of game development. Nope. So for me, a lot of what I see the IGDA doing is figuring out how to make sure that never happens again. Mm. Because I know the personal cost, because I have friends really close friends that I saw had to move their families across the country again. I don't want that to ever happen to another game developer. Yeah. And at the end of the day, this is, we are all working for the same goal. We all want the same things. We don't necessarily agree on how to achieve it, but I believe that when we have this dialogue that we're having and we explore different ideas and we explore different scenarios, maybe there's not a clear-cut solution now, but how else are we going to get to a clear-cut solution unless we have these discussions? Mm, I think a lot of people would say, how else are we going to get to a solution unless we organize? And, and, And that is a fair point, I think. Part of what we do need to answer there or at least discuss is, okay, what happens when you're a bazillionaire publisher and you've got one union studio and one not? Where, you sure. ex- where are you spending your money? Sure. Yeah. What happens when you have one studio in Montreal that is union and one is not? Where yeah. are people going to go? Does that create a supply and, and demand issue? Good questions. And, I mean, maybe the solution is for everyone to yeah. organize. Um, so we have to wrap things up. But uh, final question, final thought on all of this. If companies were to start organizing and came to you and said like we want the IGDA support we want your help we want your advice yada yada would you what would you say to them the IGDA cannot be a union legally we are a 501c6 oh that's not what I mean I just mean as like a group that will will like just be supportive or not supportive or try to would you try to talk them out of it would you say go for it like like bless be (laughs) (laughs) I mean I at the end of the day I see the IGDA's role is as giving developers as much information as possible to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why I agreed to do this roundtable. I think it is really important that we have these discussions in yeah. as open a way as possible. Mm-hmm. I can't give you an answer to how the IGDA would react because there are so many hypotheticals. Sure. Is it a guild? Is it a studio? You know, is what country? Where? What are they hoping to achieve? We could, there are a thousand what ifs that that would absolutely impact my my response, but I think the IGDA completely supports having this dialogue and having this discussion mm-hmm. because we want game developers to have sustainable and fulfilling careers, and mm-hmm. we want them to be successful. We want them to make a fair wage. We want them to have great 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 working conditions. Mm-hmm. We want what everybody wants. Sure, yeah. Um, it seems like everyone's on the same page, even though the methodology. Uh, might People might dif- disagree there. Um, Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sad that we didn't get to talk about all of your stories from the microphones and <laughs> AOL days. Next time, we'll have to have you back. We can talk about Colonization, which uh, is one of my favorite games of all time. Totally and an unsung are, masterpiece. You were a tester on. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Very underappreciated game. Yeah. Um, Jen, thank you so much. And I am very much looking forward to this continued discussion throughout the week and the panel. And it will be very interesting to see where things go. It was a pleasure, Jason. All thank right. you. Take care. Kotaku Split Screen is an official podcast of Kotaku.com. It's produced by Kirk Hamilton and me, Jason Schreier. Kirk edits and mixes the podcast and also wrote and performed our theme song and other music. We're a part of the Fusion Podcast Network, where Mandana Mufidi is executive producer of audio. You can find us on popular podcast services like Panoply, NPR Now, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts, and we hope you leave us a review if you like what you hear. Find old episodes at kotaku.com splitscreen or email us at splitscreen at kotaku.com.